The Nonprofit Hour, a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do-gooders, with interviews, profiles, and documentaries. This is the Nonprofit Hour program here on X-Ray FM. The show is brought to us by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. In today's show, we'll be hearing about two great performing arts organizations in Portland. But first, we'd like to take a minute to talk about a nonprofit that we are particularly fond of on the Nonprofit Hour, and that would be the station you're listening to us on today, X-Ray FM. Most radio stations these days are owned by three national conglomerates, and in Portland, about 80% of the local stations are owned by a national. This leads to algorithmic programming from one central office for the whole country, and local voices, issues, and artists otherwise don't have access to the airwaves. If you love the local programming that you hear on X-Ray that bring you the voices and messages of city leaders to everyday citizens and want to hear these shows continuing and growing strong, then please consider becoming a member right now. Whether it's shows like The Nonprofit Hour, X-Ray in the Morning with Jefferson Smith, Five Quadrants with Jen Chavez, Grow PDX with Weston Miller, or newer shows like The Blazer's Edge with Peter Sampson, we urge you to do your part to support this programming and become an X-Ray member. Members can give once a year or monthly, and there's a level of membership for every budget, including students and seniors, whether you can give $10, $20, $50, or even $5 per month, or $120, $240, or $60 per year. You'll help X-Ray have a reliable income and support our basic operating expenses so we can continue putting a microphone to the best and most distinctive of Portland. You can check out the membership levels online at xray.fm forward slash membership to learn more. As a sign of appreciation for their support, all members get a tote bag, sticker, and keychain. And the keychain gets you into the Member Benefits Program, which gets you deals and discounts around town. Members also get discounted entry to X-Ray events. Just go to xray.fm forward slash membership to see all of the member perks. During this fund drive, all new, renewed, or increased members also get an Academy Theater ticket and the brand spanking new X-Ray bumper sticker. So call now at 503 503- Two zero five zero three three three, or go online to xray.fm slash donate to become a member. Once again, that's 503-205-0333, or go online to xray.fm forward slash donate. Now on with the show, we start off learning about the Portland Playhouse from our conversation Phil Bussey had with Nikki and Brian Weaver. This is Phil Bossy. It's the Nonprofit Hour on X-Ray FM. I am happy to be in the studio uh, with Brian Weaver and Nikki Weaver, who coincidentally is, is their, their last name is not the same coincidentally, uh, with Portland Playhouse. How are you two? Good. Doing great. Portland Playhouse. Let's just start with that. Portland Playhouse. It's a family affair. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, 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 two brothers and a wife. How, how do you explain that? Uh, well, we moved to Portland to get married, start a theater company, and uh, I brought my brother along too. So we uh, 
we all three moved in together. We got we got married, moved into a house together. He made a great speech at the wedding about how, you know, all of you people who came here really love Nikki and Brian, but I'm taking it to the next level. I'm living with him. <laughs> and and I mean, and so you said the intention was to move to Portland to start a theater company. Mm-hmm. The and, conversation came up when we were cutting wood at their parents' house around Christmas in 2007 about doing something that we were passionate about um, in a city where we wanted to live that was both artistic and beautiful surroundings. And what, what was what was the uh, theatrical background before then? Uh, Michael's a business guy, so he had done a play or so in college. Um, but uh, Nikki and I have both been making theater all of our lives, um, both as actors, directors, uh, educators. Um, we're, we both have our MFAs in acting. Um, yeah, Nikki had started, a, had produced a show and started a company in Sydney, Australia, where she lived for a bunch of years. Um, I had started another company right out of college in Indiana, and uh, and so we had been dabbling in playmaking and company making in other places, and wanted to uh, um, build a build a company that we thought would would last. Yeah, and, I, and I, that's a nice uh, 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 compliment to have the MFA and, and the business degree. I mean, I think an MFA alone mm. uh, is, 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 can sometimes be a disaster for a theater company, and, <laughs> yeah. and a business degree alone could also sometimes be the wrong emphasis. Right. Well, and the conversation that we initially had was the skills that Brian and I had, Michael didn't possess, but he had skills that we didn't possess. And part of the conversation was, yes, we wanted to live and do something that we were passionate about in a community um, that believed in that passion, um, but also in uh, the question of why do young people hate theater and really how to get people that were similar to our friends and people d- that we didn't know coming to theater rather than going to music events or spending money in other ways. And and, and I want to talk more about just the, the business structure and the nonprofit structure in, in a little bit, but let's, let's, let's hover on that question a little bit more. Is really young people hate theater? Or is that what you, <laughs> you, that's what you found or you sense? We did at the time. I mean, we were we we were. Um, I, I think it was just wanting a theater environment that um, that felt uh, more more a little more casual. You know, our first our first plays where we had just got an assemblage of um, furniture, couches, chairs, folding chairs, church pews. Um, we put them around in a circle. The 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 lights were up. We had free PBR and Cheetos. Um, it, so it was, it was trying to shift the, and, and really, I, I, I don't think that the, our traditional idea of theater, it's, it's not, it's not bad. It's just, um, it's fun to ch- shake it up and change the idea of what people think the theater going experience is because the traditional theater experience, dressing up, going downtown, um, to, to a more of a formal affair, um, yeah, I want, I want to get into some of those specifics about what Portland Playhouse presents and what you guys produce. But let's let's talk a little bit just about what makes you guys unique. I mean, and one of those, Brian, you were just touching on is that it's not downtown. Mm. It's not even really in a in the Hawthorne district or on a commercial street. You're in a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're actually in a neighborhood, which means even theaters that are that are sometimes in neighborhoods, meaning they're on a commercial hub in a neighborhood, we're actually we're in a residential zone, and theaters historically uh, aren't 
aren't allowed to be in the only the only kind of organizations that are allowed to be actually embedded in a residential zone are churches or um, or some some social organizations and uh, and we with really the the King Neighborhood Association when the city realized that we were a theater in a residential zone um, we would have had to stop it wasn't the zoning didn't allow that until the King Neighborhood Association rallied and asked for an exemption and City Hall granted it. Yeah, I, I, and that was a few years ago, and you guys, your your success was almost your downfall at a while there. I mean, mm-hmm. in that uh, Willamette Week, if I remember correctly, really was was excited about you guys, as were your your uh, patrons were excited, and then all of a sudden, you guys bumped into some some zoning issues. Uh, obviously, those have been some of the challenges for being in a neighborhood setting. But what what are some of the opportunities that it provides? Mm-hmm. I think that was a good lesson for us to learn not how to kind of um, arrive in a neighborhood and start something, but how to be a part of a neighborhood um, and to create a sense of belonging both for the community and for ourselves. Um, So for us, I think it really took us to who are the people that live in this community and how do we want to engage with them and what is the programming that they want to see, not us just deciding let's do this because we want to do this, but really looking at what are the schools in our neighborhood, what are the churches, who are the people that live here, and what do they want to see. And what, which is interesting, I mean, because you guys arrived and Portland Playhouse started in, in an interesting time, both in U.S. economic history, uh, right, right in 2008 as things are, are uh, crashing down and people are, are getting rid of luxuries, maybe like going out to theater, um, but also at a really interesting time in Portland's history. Mm. And, you know, a lot of some of the plays you guys have presented, uh, one of your first one was about gentrification in Pittsburgh. Uh, you had a play about Detroit uh, a couple years ago, have been about cities. Mm-hmm. And how much has Portland Playhouse changed over its almost decade, eight years, uh, as Portland has changed? Well, well the, the one play that you referenced, Radio Golf, <clears throat> by August Wilson, that was the first August Wilson play that we did, the last that he wrote. And, and Portland Playhouse owes a, a debt of gratitude because that was really the the taking off point of the theater company. And as Nikki said, it was being responsive to the the community's dire, desire to, to talk about gentrification, to talk about race, um, and to honor the, the King neighborhood for the, the history, um, the history of art and culture and a, a really vibrant community of people. Um, and, and also the fear that we're on this precipice of, of losing that, losing, um, losing the kind of closeness that neighbors had for, for decades of n- knowing your neighbor, looking out for people, um, a, a, a very, and because that's, the struggle with growth, you know, a lot of people are coming in and just like us, the people coming in needing to learn to to be aware that you're coming into you're already coming into a vibrant community. You're not you're not coming in to make something new without ignoring the history and the community that's already there. And and I mean I and I like this uh, that seems to also speak to your mission. Um you guys have a few words in your mission that are interesting. Surprise, delight, challenge. Mm. I, I don't I don't know that a lot of organizations use the word surprise as part of their mission. Do you guys remember the conversation that you had to, to get to that word? It, it, our mission is almost word for word what it was um, on day one when we started the company, Brian, Michael, and myself, almost nine years ago. Um, 
I remember the conversation sort of being around this company where Brian and I met, Shakespeare and Company, and a lot of the language that they use for their mission has sort of uh, struck a chord with us in terms of how we live our lives and kind of the theater environment that we wanted to create. And it has to be fun. You know, I, I, I think that we, that a lot of artists are involved in um, storytelling and art making because we want to vision the kind of community we want to live in in the future, you know, uh, part of uh, a mission of social justice and, um, and, but at the same time, it, in order to, it's got, you know, it's a, it's a Saturday night. It's a, it has to be fun. It has to be surprising. It has to, um, enliven us as human beings and then we can hopefully uh, can encourage both ourselves and the people who we're in conversation with to live better lives or to be more engaged in uh, in place making and in the civic conversation and making our city and communities the, the kind of places we want our kids to grow up in. And, and that idea of it has to be fun. Do you guys see your competition as um you know, more as music venues uh, as opposed to maybe uh, 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 the, uh, the opera house or, or the more traditional uh, theater productions? I, I see our competition as people just hanging out in their pajamas on their couch. I think anytime, anytime people are out, you know, either checking out music or going to the theater, going to Portland Center Stage, or or going to Curious Comedy, or you know, or um, or even catching a movie. Anytime people are out, active, uh, participating in a creative or expressive um, art form, uh, which is also just you know, going to a restaurant. That's also a creative and expressive experience. Um, that that are that's who we're in cohorts cohorts with. Uh, and the who we're we're all competing against is laziness. <laughs> well said, well said. Uh, Brian and Nikki Weaver are with Portland Playhouse. Uh, let's take a music break. Do you guys uh, do you guys bring in any songs? I'm thinking about uh, Respect by Aretha Franklin. Yeah. That will get things going. Let's take a listen. That was, of course, Aretha Franklin. Uh, this is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Hour. I'm talking with Portland Playhouse with Brian and Nikki Weaver. What, Nikki, why did you pick 
Why did he prick Aretha Franklin? Is that it was a, is, uh, just a fun song, or is it representative somehow of Portland Playhouse? Mm, it's representative, I think, of, of what I feel and what I believe um, that we try and exhibit with our community that we interact with, uh, people that come into our space and then people that we're um, interacting with outside of the Playhouse. I want to take a step back, and, and um, obviously your two story and, and your family story is, is an important, is integral to the uh, to the Playhouse. How did you you two met? You you started to say at a Shakespeare and Company. I mean, that's how fitting. You guys met in theater, and now you're uh, producing theater. Yeah, we we actually met in the back of a theater, a dark theater, uh, while a play was going on. It was a high school production of A Midsummer Night's Dream, and I, I'd come there to see another friend, and uh, I was I was actually I was in all of this play. I mean, it was stunningly good. These kids were just killing it, and. Uh, I looked to my left. I was as my eyes were adjusting to the light. I saw there was a cute girl, and I, I thought it was a good pickup line. I said, "Man, this is one of the best high school productions I've ever seen in my life. Who directed this?" And uh, lucky enough, she said, "I did." <laughs> true, true. What and and how did you first uh, each of you start to be engaged in theater? Was there a first play that your parents took you to or how did how did it come to be part of your lives? Mm, uh, my mom was a, a dancer, a ballet dancer. My dad is a sculptor or um, and so I was around visual art for a long time growing up. Um, none of my family were performing artists, musicians way, way, way back. Um, so I started dancing, doing gymnastics when I was a kid, um, did musicals during school, and then started taking classes at the National Institute of Dramatic Arts in Sydney, Australia. And sort of I have this athletic background, a running background, and kind of had these two paths um, that I sort of fell in love with and threw myself into theater. And Brian? Uh, I, 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 did, I wasn't into theater when I was young. Um, I came from a small town, and I, I don't think I ever really knew it was an option. Uh, but I went to, in, in college, uh, I went to a Mennonite college. I grew up a Mennonite. Uh, and I, I was just invited to, to come into an audition. And I was like, I don't know. Let me just, and I was like, well, I, okay. And, and was cast in a play uh, about Iraq, Iraq and uh, the Iraq, first Iraq war. Um, and, uh, and I got hooked. Excellent. And then what was, do you remember the, the next production that you actually willingly uh, put, <laughs> volunteered but yourself for? Actually, the next thing I did after, after that play that I acted in, the next thing I did is I got into costume making. And that was what really threw the doors open for me because, you know, I, I was aware that there were actors. I was aware that, you know, you could be on TV or in movies or, you know, but I, I had no idea of the, the craft and the, the amount of time and energy that designers put into creating the world of a play. And that just drew me in. And, and, and that seems like something that's, that's very evident at Portland Playhouse. And, and is that, is that uh, uh, some of your work? I mean, Bloody Bloody Jackson, uh, a few years ago, um, had remarkable costumes that would have made Lady Gaga envious. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and then on a more subtle note, uh, you guys had a play a few years ago that was about um, music in the 70s and 80s. Uh, and, and that was very precise with like the windbreakers that were chosen. And and how much is of, of that is your work, Brian, or is how much of that is just uh, part of the, the, the ethos of Portland Playhouse? It's none of my work. It's all really talented um, scenic lighting and costume designers. Um, uh, and uh, um, 
Yeah, it's, and it's one of the things that about Portland Playhouse that designers love because it's a, since it's an old church, a historic church, uh, they but but it's flexible, sort of like a black box, but with but not an empty slate. It's an existing building. Um, the idea is to design a, an immersive experience. Um, so designers design where the stage is going to be, how the audience, it's, it feeds into surprise because oftentimes people walk in the building, they're disoriented. They're like, wait, where's the, I thought I came in this way last time. Or people ask, where, where are the bathrooms? I thought, isn't the stage on that on that side? Um, yeah, so some of the uh, talented design, we're, the show we're doing now, August Wilson's How I Learned What I Learned, um, uh, features a, a, a wonderful design team and I think that's I think in addition to the play being hilarious and moving and, um, and just a, a really great uh, dialogue about race um, it's it's a beautiful show it's a beautiful show Dan Meeker is one of the designers uh, Wanda is the costume designer she's uh, a Portland based but um, came up from LA to, to do the costumes for it yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, that's something about Portland Playhouse that is really magical is that, that, that you don't know what to expect when you walk in, that, that it has changed. I feel like there's been times that I've been sitting up high on the bleachers and looking down. There's other times I feel like I've been almost eye to eye with the actors. Um, and that, that transformative experience is, is really wonderful. I want to go back to talking about you two a little bit more. Um, you two have kids now? Yep, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. So are, are too too soon to start taking them to theater, or how are you introducing them to theater? Uh, they see a lot of theater. Margot saw her first show uh, on Broadway, Matilda, uh, this summer. She's seen... Um, Hey, the first show she saw was Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson when she was uh, <laughs> like six months old. <laughs> uh, we took them to see Titus Andronicus a few years back at Bag and Baggage Theater. Um, yeah, they're in there. We, we've um, we've auditioned actors in New York with the with the you know them as babies in bassinets sitting under the under the counter, um, <laughs> and uh, they've pretty much grown up in the theater. Has that started to also inform uh, some of the the outreach that Portland Playhouse does? Because you guys work with some of the nearby schools and with education, mm-hmm. uh, or was that already just part of the the, the mission? It was part of the mission. We definitely started the theater with the idea that we wanted to have a strong education program. And quickly, we started working with our neighborhood schools once we figured out where we were going to be located. We did um, host four to 12-year-old summer camps when we first started. But now we mainly work with middle schools and high school students. Um, It influences influences our play selection some of uh, wanting to do things that are... In addition to some of the edgy work we do, uh, contemporary American plays, we've started doing a Christmas Carol, and we've done it three years in a row. This year will be our fourth, and it's a it's a family friendly uh, show. Um, Should we expect Frozen somewhere down the road? Oh God, let's hope not. <laughs> Our kids are slowly learning all of the all of the <laughs> all of the songs to Frozen. It um, is insidious, yes. Yeah. <laughs> This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Hour. I'm talking with Brian and Nikki Weaver from Portland Playhouse. Let's have another music break. Any suggestions? Uh, you know, in spirit of our, the current show we're doing, uh, How I Learned What I Learned, we should play something by John Coltrane. Um, maybe uh, Equinox? Thank you. 
That was John Coltrane. This is the Nonprofit Hour. I'm talking with Brian and Nikki Weaver. Um, you guys have had two really great music choices. You guys are, are, are classing up our show here. Thank you. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about maybe some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. This is the Nonprofit Hour, so we do like to talk somewhat about the structure of, of being a nonprofit. Why did you guys choose to be a nonprofit? What is it that has its advantages for you, obviously, you have a revenue stream or mm. potential revenue stream with tickets. And but what was it about the nonprofit structure that was inviting? I think it's important f- uh, that it's community supported. I think it's um, you know the the city of Portland is uh, is really investigating how to spend public money right now, and uh, the big thing that will be decided on the ballot is uh, affordable housing, and uh, and people really coming together to support affordable housing. I think affordable art space, and and so by being a nonprofit, we're putting ourselves out there and saying that this is it's not our company. It's really it's the community's company. Um, the community owns it. It's for the public good, and it's supported by the it's supported by public money. And and, and with public money comes comes accountability. It it um, it's not it's about uh, it's about equity. It's about inclusion. It's about um, building art institutions that aren't elitist but are for for the people, for the people by the people. And and which is which is both wonderful in a, in in its philosophy and its ex- execution. Does that ever create uh, tensions though? Creative tensions. Um, Particularly, I mean, you have a board of directors and their charge is more to make sure that you guys are financially sustainable. Does that ever come into conflict with with any of the creative choices? It hasn't. No, the our board is has always been very supportive of all creative choices, uh, the risky ones, the crazy ones, the the commercial ones. That you know, it was a surprise. To, they always laugh and make fun of us for this play. Uh, Bingo with the Indians, uh, that 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 featured me on stage completely naked, um, having sex with another guy, um, and uh, it's it's a it was it's a great construct because the playwright takes us off stage right at the critical moment. You're like, oh, good, that's going to happen off stage, and then midway through, you know, we come back on stage and continue. So, um, but <laughs> they they supported that choice, and they also supported. Though they were shocked and surprised when we decided to do a Christmas Carol, um, there I think the board views their job as uh, as making sure that we're providing a meaningful service to the community, uh, making sure that we stay on mission. As Nikki said, the mission has always been about doing exciting art in an inclusive way with an equity lens, um, and. Uh, and surprising and delighting audiences along the way, inclu- including a very robust education program, which um, is about the audiences of tomorrow. It's about it's about all, all kids having access to art um, in order to enrich their lives, not just to be professional artists. And and so, talk to me a little bit. Let's let's round this out and talk to me about the uh, current season. What's happening now, and what what are what should people be excited about? Um, well, they, uh, Nikki, do you want to do you want to talk about? We could go the backwards. Do you want to talk about the the last play of the year? Uh, the last play of the year, uh, the Language Archive by Julia Cho. Adriana Bear is directing. She was the former artistic director of Profile Theater. Uh, it features a stellar cast of Portland artists and a wonderful um, out of town actor. Um, it's about how uh, little we use language and the disappearance of different languages from around the world 
and what we're doing to save language um, in terms of writing and speaking. Uh, and you guys have done a couple plays about language in that way. There is a, a play, and if you can jog my memory a little bit, about books or about is it fiction. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. F- is it fiction by Stephen Dietz? It may tell me again what the plot of that was. Uh, it, it was about a novelist who uh, d- uh, two writers who kept novels of the personal lives, and when one passed away. Um, the other one chose chose to read uh, his diary and learned about a lifelong affair. Um, sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Mr. Dietz, if I got that. <laughs> Not, I didn't mean to derail talking about the current season. So that that's that's the last play of the yep. season. What what brings uh, audiences to that point? Um, that, that play will be at Coho, so it'll be the first show that's outside of our space while our space is being remodeled, um, restored. Uh, I think audiences should come to that place if you're curious about why and how you choose to use language, um, and when you don't. And, uh, before that play is the, um... Penmanship. Penmanship by Christina Anderson. Uh, she's an emerging playwright. It's had, this will be the third production. It premiered two years ago at the Magic Theater in San Francisco. It's a, a, a black captain and crew sailing from the U.S. to Liberia in 1896. And it's a, sort of a, a nautical adventure story, power struggle between a young woman uh, and the captain. Features a large pool of water in the center of our space. Yeah, it'll be the first time. <laughs> right. Set designers always like to do this, and we've never we've never given it a go at Portland Playhouse in our historic church building. But it, yeah, there's water on stage. It takes place in a boat that might slowly be sinking. Uh, that doesn't seem like it could pose any challenges or problems. <laughs> it'll be very surprising. <laughs> And any other plays? uh, Christmas Carol is in December, of course. And then the play that's going on right now is August Wilson's How I Learned What I Learned. And this play is, uh, it's it's a play that he wrote for himself, and he performed it once. He performed it in Seattle uh, a couple years before he passed. Um, It it and then it was sort of shelved for for a number of years and. Um, Ruben Santiago Hudson performed it in New York two years ago, and that was the the reemergence of this play. And we're we're one of the first couple of theaters um, to to ha- to have the privilege and the honor of being able to produce this play. How and, and th- I mean that's exciting. How did how did that come about? Uh, it, it came about in partnership with the August Wilson Red Door Project, um, in conversation with Kevin Jones, one of the founders of the Red Door Project. Um, Kevin. Uh, Kevin and Portland Playhouse, we've worked on a number of uh, Wilson shows together over the years, and um, and I, it was just the the right timing. It was the the Wilson estate, Constanza Romera, uh, who lives in in Seattle and is a a Broadway costume designer herself, um, was just ready to release this play to the world, and uh, right right about the time that we were looking for what was going to kick off our season. So Kevin Jones is directing the play. Victor Mack is is starring as August Wilson. Um, and uh, it's going on right now. Brian and Nikki Weaver are with Portland Playhouse. Thank you guys both for coming into the studio. And thank you guys for everything that you guys uh, bring to the city and contribute to the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, thanks for Phil. having us. Uh, one more song to take us out. I'm going to say we are family. Since we started as a family affair, we're still going as a family affair. Excellent. Great song. 
This is the Nonprofit Hour, and we just heard a conversation with Nikki and Brian Weaver of Portland Playhouse. Next up, we have a short documentary about the App Camp for Girls from one of the Media Institute for Social Change's Summer Documentary Program students. This is from a graduate of this summer's program, Frankie Breedlove, and is titled, It's Not Just a Guy Thing. When I walk into Tabor Space, an event space in Portland, Oregon, I wonder if I'm in the right place because it looks like I'm walking into a large cathedral. This is where the app camp for girls is being held for the fourth summer in a row. When I eventually find the tucked away room, I see a group of 12 girls gathered around four laptops. They're surprisingly quiet, but they're busy at work learning the basics of coding. By the end of the day, they will have built an app. That's right, these middle school aged girls will build a fully functional app in one day. I don't know about you, but as someone who doesn't know squat about coding, I'm super impressed. According to the nonprofit organization, Girls Who Code, 74% of girls in middle school, girls like those at the app camp, express interest in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics fields. But only 4% of first-year college women are entering those fields as their intended majors. Demographic kind of tells you, you know, it's a guy thing, Mm because, you know, there's a whole bunch more male developers. Like my brother's robotics team, primarily guys. And so it kind of, you know, brushes off as a kind of a guy thing. That's Katya. She attended the camp last year and is back this year as an intern. The app camp is trying to keep girls from being intimidated by coding and hopefully stop so many girls from dropping off the science and technology path. That's why they focus on girls going into eighth and ninth grade. It's very easy to see that like this is the point when when that starts really dropping off. And I'm glad that that's when we're catching these girls is we get them before high school sort of tells them computers aren't for girls. Uh, I'm Kelly Gamont. She's a volunteer for the app camp. I've been the only girl. So being the only one, like I know how hard that can be and I know how isolating that can be and I don't want that to ever happen to anybody. The camp has a volunteer staff that is all women or gender non-conforming people. This gives girls role models to look up to. These volunteers are professionals in the field and are giving girls the technical skills to succeed in software development. We created an app and it's a calculator where we, the first input is your numbers, you can input, same, and then add, multiply, subtract, divide. Of course there are going to be a few bugs since we just started this today, Mm -hmm. but it's just to show, you know, we have been working on something. Mm -hmm. I'm Morgan Nader, I'm from California. Now that I'm in Avcant, I see that it's Actually, not that hard. Yeah. It's not as hard as you would think it'd be. So put in a number. Okay. And five. <gasps> Yay, work. Building a calculator app in a matter of hours is remarkable. But there may be something more important that the camp is giving to these girls. Here's what Katya had to say about her experience at camp last year. Um, I think it was kind of more, I, like, I took away a giant confidence booster type thing. Because mm-hmm. it was, you know, you made the app, then you presented it. You had to stand up, you had to talk about it. I've made an app before. That's something not a lot of girls can say. Something not a lot of guys can say. The app that I made is in the app store. You know, it was a confidence builder. Katya told me that while she's not sure if she'll go into computer science, she's glad that the camp gave her the confidence boost she needed to do well in high school and beyond. I hope that we're giving them a little bit of faith in themselves, a little belief in themselves. You can have this many women in a room together, you know, building something great. Uh, That's a thing that I hope to show them that is possible. And 
and that they're not necessarily alone. And I, I hope that what we're giving them, if nothing else, is sort of that skill to stand up for themselves and stand up for their ideas. And that's really exciting for me um, to be able to give them that. This is Frankie from the Media Institute for Social Change signing off. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Nonprofit Hour from the Media Institute for Social Change on X-Ray FM. To become a supporting member of the Media Institute and find out more about their work, you can visit mediamakingchange.org. Members receive annual benefits and support programs such as the Nonprofit Hour and the Summer Documentary Program. We'd also like to take a moment to remind you that we are currently in the start of X-Ray FM's Fall Membership Drive. If the local relevant programming that brings you the voices and important issues of our city of Portland is important to you, we urge you to show your support by becoming a member. Or if you are currently a member, by increasing your membership level if you're able to do so. Most radio stations these days are owned by three national conglomerates. And in Portland, about 80% of the local stations are owned by a national. This leads to algorithmic programming from one central office for the whole country and local voices, issues, and artists otherwise don't have access to the airwaves. If you love the local programming that you hear on X-Ray that bring you the voices and messages of city leaders to everyday citizens and want to hear these shows continuing and growing strong, then please consider becoming a member right now. Whether it's shows like The Nonprofit Hour... X-Ray in the Morning with Jefferson Smith, Five Quadrants with Jen Chavez, Grow PDX with Weston Miller, or newer shows like The Blazer's Edge with Peter Sampson, we urge you to do your part to support this programming and become an X-Ray member. Members can give once a year or monthly, and there's a level of membership for every budget, including students and seniors, whether you can give $10, $20, $50, or even $5 per month or $120, $240, or $60 per year, you'll help X-Ray have a reliable income and support our basic operating expenses so we can continue putting a microphone to the best and most distinctive of Portland. You can check out the membership levels online at xray.fm forward slash membership to learn more. As a sign of appreciation for their support, all members get a tote bag, sticker, and keychain. And the keychain gets you into the Member Benefits Program, which gets you deals and discounts around town. Members also get discounted entry to X-Ray events. Just go to xray.fm forward slash membership to see all of the member perks. During this fund drive, all new, renewed, or increased members also get an Academy Theater ticket and the brand spanking new X-Ray bumper sticker. So call now at 503 503- Two zero five zero three three three, or go online to xray.fm slash donate to become a member. Once again, that's 503-205-0333, or go online to xray.fm forward slash donate. Now, back to the second half of the Nonprofit Hour show. Here's Phil Bussey in conversation with Bianca McCarthy of Echo Theater. Bill Bussey, it's the Nonprofit Hour on X-Ray FM. I am talking with Bianca McCarthy, who is uh, uh, the executive director for Echo Theater. Welcome. Thank you. It's nice to meet you. Um, now, now, Echo Theater, let's let's start with 
what you guys are. So it's a, it's a space, but it's people shouldn't come there and expect to see productions of Annie or or you're, they're going to see aerial artist, correct? That is correct. And we are predominantly a school. We teach classes for all ages, and that is truly all ages. We have students into their 80s taking classes with us, and as young as one and a half. Well, yeah, your your website says from one to 100. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a 100-year-old person on a trapeze? Not that they've admitted. <laughs> Not that they've admitted, but we've come close. <laughs> And and um, so this is trapeze, ribbons, uh, tumbling, yes. all of the above. Yes. Uh, we're known for our trapeze. We're one of the few uh, facilities in the area where people can actually swing on a trapeze. So it uh, changes the movement. It's not just uh, vertical. It's a lot of horizontal movement that way. You can actually swing and dance on air, as it were. And then the uh, silks, which is what most people call them, uh, the fabric apparatus, um, Lyra, which is the hoop that you see swinging in the air. And we've added sear wheel recently and harness recently, which is also really cool. What's your insurance like? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a lady never likes to tell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but as the executive director, obviously, I mean, you, your concern is obviously, I mean, with, with having a, a fun creative uh, uh, production, but also in terms of you have to think about the 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 business end of things, so to speak. And, and... I do. I do. Um, I have a wonderful team with a really fabulous creative director and an excellent education director, and they get the tasks of doing the fun and creating curriculum and productions and developing really fun, creative work. I get to make sure that we are on task for marketing deadlines, writing copy for fundraising, and uh, pounding the pavement and making sure we're updated on HR regulations and that insurance again. <laughs> and is, is that what you signed up for? I mean, were, were you a stage person and suddenly you were you were good at leadership and, and, and balancing books and you got pulled into that? Or are you coming to this from the... Uh, business uh, and management side? Well, it's a little bit of both, actually, which is how this job ended up being perfect for me. I studied art and theater in college and in uh, graduate school. Then I went into a career in nonprofit work, and so I've been a fundraiser for over 15 years in Portland. And then this position came open and I had seen the work um, back when they um, their former name and I uh, I knew them and knew the work that they did and so I chatted with them and it seemed like it was actually kind of a perfect fit for the random set of skills I have acquired over the last few years and you've been there how long I've been there two years now okay and 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 their former name can you say it on the air I can. We are because because we're based in the same philosophy of movement, which is do jump, and so uh, a lot of people still know the space is the do jump space, and uh, we are still in great connections with the former do jump folks. Um, but we just have a slightly different focus now, focusing mostly on the school and uh, and just sort of taking things in a different area and different arena. Yeah, and do you mind if we talk a little bit more about that? Because I mean, obviously, uh, I, I, uh, Echo Theater is 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 well known and. Do jump is well known. Exactly. And uh, those were the same thing for for some period of time. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, uh, we've been in that Echo Theater space, which is actually its historic name. It's a historic building. It's uh, one of the beautiful uh, gemstones along Hawthorne with all of those great historic buildings. And we've been in the space now for about 40 years. Uh, the uh, separation uh, between Echo and Do Jump happened about three, almost four years ago now. And and uh, Do Jump is out. They're, they're more performance based. They're focusing mostly on performance. Uh, they do have outreach also with uh, with schools as well. Great. And and Echo Theater then is is uh, how does one get involved? I could show up and say I want to learn trapeze. You certainly can. Our doors are always open. We uh, run a seven day a week operation. So we have classes and activities happening in the building seven days a week. The offices themselves are only open five days a week, but uh, our doors are always open and people can wander in and ask questions. Uh, for the for the child classes, we prefer people take a full term so that they have a chance to really progress in, in one um, particular focus. But our adult classes are very flexible and we have the opportunity for drop-ins. And so people can literally walk in and say, well, can I take the class at 7 p.m.? And more often than not, we can say, yes, you can. But it, it's I, I don't know if you're purposely using those words, but the classes are flexible and right. drop-ins. <laughs> uh, drop is probably not a word that you guys like to use. Uh, well, you know, there's great drops that happen on purpose with the silks. And so uh, drop-in is not necessarily a bad way to think about things. Um, the first rule of, of movement is always to learn how to fall gracefully. This is the Nonprofit Hour. I'm speaking with Bianca McCarthy, who is the executive director of Echo Theater. Uh, let's take a quick music break and we'll come back and talk. I want to talk more about aerial arts and trapeze. Uh, let's get some music going. Sounds great. Do you have a suggestion? Well, uh, we're very, very partial to Prince in our office, and so Starfish and Coffee would be a most excellent choice. It was 7.45 on the line to put to teacher Miss Kathleen. First was Kevin, then came Lucy, third in line was me. All of us were ordinary compared to Cynthia Rose. She always stood at the back of the line, a smile beneath her nose. Cause. 
Gonsin. I keep saying stop fish and coffee. Maple syrup and jam. Buscotch clouds, tangerine, side on a pan. If you set your mind free, baby, maybe you understand. Stop fish and coffee. Maple syrup and jam. That was, of course, Prince. I, I, have you seen the, uh, the 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 Sesame Street Muppet? Oh yes, <laughs> a version of that when they're they're challenging him to Prince to write a song, and he. It's one of the uh, sweetest moments. I I am a huge Prince fan from way back in the day, and I just absolutely adore that moment of seeing his playful side because he was often known as being rather reclusive and shy, and so it was really charming to see that come together with Sesame Street. And and you were this is Phil Bussey. It's the nonprofit hour. I'm speaking with Bianca McCarthy from Echo Theater. She's the executive director there. And before the music break, Prince, you were talking about uh, Prince's. Uh, uh, part of the office, as it were. Um, how has his death been received at Echo Theater? We, uh, well, I stopped, I, I was I was wearing purple every Friday for a while as my own little personal um, memorial, but uh, we, we, we still listen to a lot of prints uh, at once a week or so um, as a memory. It's still really hard actually to imagine that he's gone. It's, it's a very strange world that we live in, that we've lost so many Wonderful, talented people in 2016. It's a very strange year. Well, and, and you know, I mean, a, a lot of, I mean, David Bowie and Prince mm-hmm. um, obviously uh, contributed and probably uh, generally and probably individually to many people in terms of confidence or enthusiasm for stage production. Absolutely. Stage production and just uh, breaking barriers, both David Bowie and Prince, um, huge influence on a lot of the creative folks that we have in our space because they broke a lot of the barriers and stereotypes of what it was like to be a man, what it meant to perform, uh, what was expected of them based on how they looked and their outward appearance. And all of those things are absolutely 100 percent embraced by the work that we do and reflect uh, on the teachers that we have. And so it's uh, no surprise that actually around town we've had quite a number of our teaching artists uh, perform in various uh, tributes and memorial events um, for both of those artists. Um, it's It's been a huge influence, both of them, on, on what, the work that we do. And, and what about, um, I mean, the kids and the adults who come to Echo Theater wanting to take uh, lessons or wanting to be part of it, what what are you seeing their motivation? Uh, are, are people coming there because they want to do something that is uh, kinetic and fun? Or are people thinking, oh, yeah, I might make a career in this? We do um, have a little bit of both that come through the door for sure. We have uh, youth performance companies. Uh, we have two youth performance companies that are pre-professional. And uh, several of the students there are definitely thinking of this as a potential career. Uh, However, people are drawn to us because we have a very non-competitive environment. So they can come and move the way that they want to move and the way that their body um, is inspired to move. And there isn't a drive and a pressure to 
um, be the best at the thing and um, that sort of cutthroat environment that can happen sometimes in performance environments. It's it's um, not easy to go that way. That's not quite the right way to say it. But um, we just encourage people to collaborate together as much as possible as opposed to being individuals um, on their own. And and can we? I, I want to talk about aerial art. Is is that the right term? Yes, aerial aerial dance, aerial mm-hmm. art, circus arts, all of it sort of works. I, I, can you talk to us more generally about it? I, I know that you're you're not necessarily coming. You're coming. Uh, you've you've been there uh, two years as executive director, but aerial art obviously seems to have uh, emerged as a more mainstream or a more recognized art form, mm-hmm. certainly in the last 10, 15 years. Absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, you have a number of organizations. Obviously, Cirque du Soleil is, is one of those where, where people are making uh, a career mm-hmm. out of this and where there are uh, uh, huge audiences. I mean, you know, you can roll the clock back even further to the to the turn of the last century, and obviously trapeze artists were, were something. But is, it, is, is aerial dance becoming more mainstream? Uh, is that becoming, is that good? Is that bad? We have seen definitely major growth in interest and the amount of people teaching uh, aerial dance in various forms in Portland alone, much less the rest of the country. And I would say, yeah, mainstream is always odd to attach to what the work that we do because there's a lot of quirky things about the work and the kind of folks that we um, have come through our doors. And so they're very staunch individualists. So I, the word mainstream is always a little odd for us. But um, I would say it's definitely becoming uh, more common in people's vocabulary as far as um, understanding when you say something like silks or trapeze that people know what you mean and it's a lot less... Um, having to define what those terms are, people have a, a little bit more knowledge about what 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 is it they um, are interested in seeing. Uh, and there are folks who um, have come to it a little bit more as an interesting way to work out. It is an amazing way to build your core strength and your upper body strength. And so for folks who are not inclined to go to the gym and and be on a certain kind of apparatus that way, they are able to come and be social and do a fun artistic way of also being um, in shape and, and getting a workout in. And and how much uh, affinity is there for circus, for the circus performers? I mean, obviously trapeze, that's part of its history. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that something, do you cringe when I say uh, trapeze and circus? And does that feel like something completely different? Um, those who know me know I would a year ago I would have been cringing. Um, what we've we've come to sort of consider ourselves as contemporary circus, and it's because we do a lot of n- things that are not what people expect in sort of a vaudeville type circus or the old you know Ringling Brothers and that sort of big tent and the you know tigers and flaming hoops and all of that we're very removed from that in the kind of work that we do and so that's the the sort of moment where it makes me cringe just being connected with sort of an, an odd um thing that doesn't really relate to you're not going to see that when you come in the building uh you guys don't have tigers there you know i have been asking for a tiger <laughs> for years and it's not come up but you could find a grant for that i assume i would well if hey the foundations that are listening <laughs> Uh, we uh, we do a lot of really interesting um, 
physical theater is is a lot is a better sort of description of what it is that we do because we're using uh, the physical like the 360 as it were of using all the different senses and physicalities to tell stories that's a lot of what we do is we're teaching people to how to tell stories but using all of these different tools available to them um, and that includes being in the air and partnering with somebody and building human sculptures through partner acrobatics. I mean, that, that's interesting that you're using using the term uh, telling stories, because uh, when I think of contemporary dance uh, or, or performances, I think of it more of as an aesthetic mm-hmm. as, as as opposed to um, a traditional uh, a TV show or a book that has a traditional plot. Right. And it, it is something that, you know, from my own personal viewing, it took me a while to really uh, understand or be able to enjoy contemporary dance because I, as a former English major and as a writer, I always wanted to know what the story was. And mm-hmm. I was trying to actually feel like I imposed a story on something that's just aesthetic. Yes, and our and our particular aesthetic for the creative work that we do is very much in the storytelling tradition. And so we do nonlinear storytelling. And so it isn't necessarily going to have a beginning, middle, and an end. But there are vignettes that tell a certain, they capture a certain moment either in um, one character's history or the telling of a lot of different stories um, along the same lines of a specific theme. And so we definitely consider ourselves storytellers. Bianca McCarthy is executive director for Echo Theater on Hawthorne. Um, how about another song selection? Certainly. Well, I, you can't talk this much about being upside down without having a song referencing it. So I think we have to go with Head Over Heels from the Go-Go's. Wonderful. I feel like you just in in this day and age we don't hear enough of the Go Go's anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, Bianca McCarthy, as executive director for Echo Theater. That was her song selection. Um, thank you so much for coming in. I want to talk a little bit more about Echo Theater and and who you guys are, but also how you guys function. Um, let's let's sort of take a running jump at that, as it were. Talk to me about the building that you're in. I mean, it it's it is on the historic registry. Yes. Uh, it does have an interesting history in, in some ways that I feel like parallels some of Portland's creative history. Absolutely. And um, as I mentioned before, um, Robin Lane, who um, sort of pioneered the the concept of physical theater in Portland, um, if not in the world, you could say, uh, 
<laughs> it very much has a, a space and a history to it that just permeates the walls. And so um, we have actually, you mentioned before people wandering in. We have people that wander in all the time that remember when they used to play marimba in the space or come and watch movies in the space or there's all these different ways that people have experienced the building and so you can feel it in the walls it's just a, a space that is filled with a great history and uh and warmth and and love yeah and so i mean originally in the the 1920s it was it was a silent movie theater which is which is sort of interesting if you think about the physicality of buster keaton uh mm-hmm. of of and and sort of the coming back and um as i understand it when the baghdad came in that sort of uh, and and talkies right sort of suck some of the uh, the commercial uh, viability of of the theater out, um, and it was really when uh, uh, Do Jump and Echo Theater came back and sort of re- revived exactly uh, that space. It's very I mean it's 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 really it's it's very exciting. I mean and you came to to uh, Echo Theater two years ago. Talk a little bit about what was your background up until that point. Well, I um, I've worked for several of the of the biggest nonprofits uh, for culture and arts in in Portland, and right before I started working with Echo, I was actually consulting. I was working with a with a several different nonprofits on a project basis, um, which was a great. A uh, great bit of fun to be able to go in and plan an event with somebody and have that sort of beginning, middle, and end. But it was uh, really fun to be able to come back and settle into something and sink my teeth into it. And and um, so you're you're walking into an organization though that has its board of directors already in place. Yes. And I mean after after two years, I mean I, I imagine you've started to have um, some influence on that. But that that that's a can be a tricky inheritance. Absolutely. I was incredibly lucky. And that is not something that a lot of executive directors get to say. Uh, I walked in with a really um, powerfully invested board at the time that I was there. They were um, coming through this transition of making the change to being their own organization. And the folks that were there were just committed to making things work and finding um, a, a solid ground for us to move forward with. And so they were invested in supporting me and and providing the tools that we needed to make that that transition happen. As as I think uh, can be common for a creative organization sometimes, uh, not necessarily to have tension in as a bad thing, but the board of directors is there to make sure that that the, the organization survives. Yes. And to be financially viable, whereas you have uh, creative people that are maybe that's not their foremost concern. They want to be creative. Uh, does that ever does? Do you have to serve as a negotiator between those two camps? Are there two camps in that regard for you? No, we're very, very lucky in that regard. That that I have seen that in some of the arts organizations I've worked with. Um, absolutely. Um, the great thing about having a collaborative ensemble theater mindset is that everyone knows that they have a role to play in what we do. And so um, there isn't that sense of, oh, that's just that thing that you do. Um, find me when it matters to me about what we're working on. Uh, instead, there's a lot more of how can I help? What do we need? You know, 
this is what I can do. Does this work with what you need? And and there's a lot more conversation and back and forth. Uh, our offices have no walls, so we are full collaboration all the time. Um, sometimes that can drive folks who want a little bit of quiet on a project they're working on a little crazy. But uh, it is ultimately in in uh, for the good of the order because we uh, there's no secrets in that regard. There's a lot of, oh, this is something that will impact the work that you do. So you should know about it. And this is a way that maybe you can help support what we're working on. And if people do want to uh, come down to Echo Theater and take classes, I know you said the doors are open, but can you give a little bit more uh, details about how people can get involved? Absolutely. Our uh, full our full schedule is listed on our website. So that's echotheaterpdx.org. And they all can also give us a call. Uh, we have our office hours are normally nine to four. And we can certainly uh, chat with people and let them know um, good placement because some people are coming to us with gymnastics backgrounds or dance backgrounds and have um, questions about what might be the right class for them as they try something different. And so we're happy to talk them through all the opportunities and, and different classes that might fit. Bianca McCarthy is the executive director for Echo Theater. Thank you for joining us on the Nonprofit Hour. And one more song to take us out. Well, um, I wanted to go with something um, from Leon Bridges. He's a new favorite in the office. And uh, Coming Home was a a good way to describe a lot of the feelings in the space. Uh, We have a lot of alumni that come visit us on a regular basis and people who uh, used to take years ago. And they always feel like they have to make a pilgrimage to Echo when they come to town. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Take in the mouth.